You're listening to the Panther Podcast, the official podcast of Oconto Falls School District. In today's episode, we discuss the first six chapters of Empowered at a Distance by John Spencer. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the Panther Podcast. This is your host, Jason, and I am joined by a couple of our illustrious ITLs. So I'll let Zach introduce himself real quick. Hey, everybody. It's Zach Klaus here, sixth grade social studies teacher at the middle school. And I'm also joined by Hannah. Hey, I'm Hannah Zayden, high school Spanish teacher. So thanks, guys, for taking some time to uh, talk about our book that we have been reading as ITLs this year and that people can check out from their local school library as well. We have this available if people want to read along with us. We've got an extra copy. So um, so we're talking about Empowered at a Distance. Uh, we had an interview with John Spencer a couple weeks ago, and now we're just kind of following up on our, our discussion and some of the things that we're learning about this. So I guess I want to kick things off by um, talking about some of the content from chapter one, where he brings up three big, big truths. I keep calling them big ideas, but they're big truths uh, that kind of guide the, uh, the rest of this book. And the first big truth that he brings up is that the problem of engagement starts with empowerment. And it really, you know, as we were kind of preparing for this, we kind of picked this out as this is really like, if we're going to pick a thesis for the book, this is kind of where everything revolves. What do you guys, um, what do you guys remember reading about in our, in our book that kind of would reinforce this with our, um, in our minds. And then also kind of, how does this apply to the work that we're doing right now? Like, are we seeing this in O'Connell Falls? Yeah, I'm seeing this all the time. And just looking at the first sentence of that big truth, it says the lack of student engagement is often a lack of self-direction. And I'm seeing that every day with, with our sixth graders here. They, they, they don't always know what to do because they've never had to do it before, but when they know what they have to do, they can do it. And I think just making our expectations like clear with virtual learning, what needs to be done, when, how to do it. I think communicating with them, it empowers them to, to be self-directed um, so that they're able to engage. I agree with that. I've kind of been thinking about this um, like an equilibrium. And I think prior to doing virtual learning, we had a system that students and teachers and parents really understood. There was a flow of responsibilities um, and people really kind of knew where they fell within that and how to navigate it. So when one piece of the puzzle gets changed, you know, when we did move to virtual learning, kind of the equilibrium shifted and suddenly students didn't have the homeroom teacher checking in with them or their English teacher there face-to-face to tell them, hey, you have a deadline. So I think, you know, the biggest thing for me is not to kind of try to point to a problem area or, you know, point blame, but to figure out how can I balance out what has changed, um, replacing that with a positive behavior that can kind of lead to the same end result. So it's just kind of juggling those areas um, to get students to, to be successful. And I think the idea of empowerment and what empowerment looks like in a virtual setting um, was really eye-opening just to kind of think about how that differs from our typical prior to virtual learning situations. Right, yeah, you know, it's almost kind of like um, that the the structure was what kept kids motivated and engaged to do the kinds of things that that they needed to do. And we were put into, we were forced into a situation where all of a sudden that structure was just ripped away. And Mm -hmm. now, you know, we've got to figure out how to, 
um, how to work within that and, um, and with some new constraints that we didn't really have in place before, but now, you know, we kind of have to, we kind of have to navigate some, some new waters and that kind of led to a lot of experimentation. And Hannah, you made a really good point in our pre-discussion before we started with this, that, um, you know, that the, we're, we're kind of being in, we're kind of in a situation where we not kind of, we are definitely in a situation where we have, we have very few answers of what's the right way to do it. What, you know, what kinds of consequences are we going to have for the decisions that we made all of that kind of stuff. Um, can you just elaborate a little bit more on what you meant by, uh, your, your comment earlier? Yeah, I think that, um, it's easy for teachers and really everybody involved in this to feel like, um, really doing the right thing or almost that we don't know what's right because for almost everybody teaching virtually is brand new to us. Mm -hmm. So it really helped me to, um, to think about this virtual teaching, not as like a performance assessment or to not need to know the right answers right away, but rather to see it as experimental and to kind of give myself permission to notice what's working, what's not, um, add things in that might help improve student success and not beat myself up for not knowing how to do something that's brand new. Um, and I think the further along we get with this, the more we start to realize and um, even as a community within our schools share, here's what's working really well and kind of move ourselves in that direction. Um, and that can be a lot more uplifting and <laughs> inspiring to think about how we can take this to a new level and where we can go with it, rather than to just think about um, things that are difficult for us. Yeah, yeah so I think we're talking a lot about the third big truth. There's no instruction manual. Yeah. There's no really right. There's no right or wrong. Like none of us know what we're doing at this point. I mean, by this point in the year, we've got some sort of an idea, but none of us knew come March what we were doing, and we just had to keep trying different things and, and, and write it ourselves. We had to figure out what works and what doesn't. I still think we're in that process, but we've come such a long way. And we've come that way through trials and tribulations and failures uh, with our successes, but it's all come to this point where we're being far more successful than we were then. And mm -hmm. that's something to be commended. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, and I wrote this in a blog post maybe a couple of weeks ago, just that, you know, the whole idea of like, thinking about all of the things that we're doing at this point in time, you know, meeting with kids on a regular basis, you know, everybody's very proficient and fluent in working with Zoom and Schoology, you know, all these different tools that, you know, we was just, a, you know, we, we would not have had nearly this much success with incorporating any of these tools, um, you know, without, without the assistance of the pandemic. So, you know, this has been a, a wonderful learning experience for me anyways. And I know you guys have gotten uh, a lot of experience out of this too. And I don't think our profession is going to be the same after this year, um, you know, regardless, just from a whole bunch of different perspectives. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what we, what we do with this now and how we capitalize on uh, that, that freedom and that opportunity to do a little bit of experimentation and maybe stretch ourselves a little bit. So one of those experiments that we, we did and um, has, has been a pretty consistent method of operation for virtual learning is, you know, we, we had Zooms throughout the day and kids were required to be on. And, you know, we tried to, because that's, the, that's what we knew, right? We knew the schedule. We knew that the, the kids that have that structure, that is something that works for them and we can work within that framework. 
um, if we're reading through the book, one of the things that, uh, that the author says is, well, you know, this is maybe not the most empowering way to, um, to motivate kids. And, you know, if we look back on that, we look back on that experience. Um, would you guys kind of tend to agree with, um, what, what John Spencer says? Um, not so much that I, you know, I don't feel like we made mistakes. I think that, you know, this was, like Hannah was saying, this is just a great experiment and we're trying things out and we're, you know, we're doing, we're doing the best that we can with the tools that we have. And I do think that we were effective in the approach that we took. Um, but, you know, reading through some of the things that, um, that uh, the author makes, uh, the, some of the points that he makes in here, how do you guys, um, what, do, if we, if we could, what would we, what would we change or going forward, what kinds of lessons can we apply to that? I think um, I'm taking away that there's a time and place for synchronous like we've been doing and then asynchronous. Uh, I think going forward, we'll, we'll be, we'll have more freedom to, to, to do the asynchronous um, activities when we think that fits our lesson best. Um, where at the beginning of this, we, we were told that things should be synchronous because that was most like um, what we've been doing in the past, but I think throughout right. this, we've just learned that asynchronous is sometimes the way to go. Um, not always is it most effective for kids virtual to, to tune into class. It's not always something for them to do. Um, and, and especially not always that they can take away the same thing that, that mm -hmm. they could if they were in person. So I don't know, I guess the, just the prevalence of, of asynchronous education going forward will be, I think, bigger than, than it was at the beginning of this and that it is now. I would agree with that. Um, I do think that for many students, it's helpful to have a schedule and to have come some constraints to kind of work with and to know, you know, it's eight o'clock, this is the class I'm working with, and to have some kind of guidance in that way. I agree that a purely synchronous schedule isn't always what's best for every student. And another point that was made in this, um, the first six chapters is the importance of doing those check-ins with students, mm -hmm. especially the students who aren't in our class every day, um, and just to see where they're at and then to make those adjustments to say, you know what, having all of these synchronous days hasn't been working very well. Let's build in some asynchronous work or let's make it, you know, tweak it in ways that can help best serve our students. Um, and sometimes the opposite is true. Sometimes maybe we've had too much asynchronous work and kids feel like they're not connected with their peers or like they, you know, they maybe don't have the time to talk with their teacher. So again, yeah, there is no instruction manual for this, mm -hmm. but doing those check-ins and doing little surveys and just kind of getting the, the tone of your class, I think can help make informed decisions. Yeah. And that's a perfect lead in to, uh, the, the next thing that I wanted to pull out from these chapters is just that whole idea of building a community of learners within your classroom and how you do that when you're not, when you can't see everybody, you know, for weeks at a time or for days at a time or whatever it is, how do you include some of your, uh, how do you include all of your kids so that they feel seen so that they know that they're understood so that they have access to their teachers, so they have access to their peers you know, and all of those things are just become incredibly more difficult when we're, um, when we're not together physically, um, or at least, you know, more complicated. Uh, so what were, what were some of the things either from the book that you guys pulled out 
or some of the strategies that you used that you found were successful um, that helped to empower your students by building a community and having them um, kind of develop those relationships with you and with their peers? Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I'll go. Um, I think just one of the simplest things that I've tried to keep in mind is um, letting students participate in a way that feels safe for them. And, um, and when we have students who are at home and students who are in school building, um, I think sometimes they're just hesitant to, you know, they don't want to get called on and, you know, feel awkward or not know what to say. So just giving a wide variety of ways that student can, students can participate um, and giving options for students who like to write text responses or turn on their microphone, sometimes having um, a group of students who is in the classroom, join a kid who's on Zoom so that they can be part of that group. Just kind of, you know, brings them into the classroom in a bunch of different ways. And hopefully at least one of them will really stick um, that they can feel like they're involved. Yeah, that whole element of choice, I think, is is a, an important thing. And that's one thing that um, that the author pulls out a lot, too, is just giving students the power to be able to choose and you'll you'll be amazed at what what happens with that what do you what about you zach you know, i was going to say a lot of what hannah just said and i was going to mention too um at, at the middle school level we have um, our passes that we met with often every day for about 15 minutes and just making sure that past class was really comfortable with one another like family time essentially you know we're playing games we're just um talking about what's going on uh, over our weekends and whose birthday party was when and what and what they did. I don't know. It's just a time for everybody at the end of the day, just to like relax. And it wasn't about school. It was about how are we doing? What are we mm -hmm. doing? It was, it, I don't know. It just, it's just that community aspect of past class um, helped everybody stay connected um, when we weren't able to be together. Yeah, I, that was that was one of those things that, you know, that structure was built into your day. And that's really awesome that that was able to work out for you guys to be able to include that time to be able to work with your homeroom kids. And they know they're not homeroom, they're past, they're, they're past class, but that's basically what it is. Um, but you have these this group of kids that you're kind of mentoring and helping through all of this stuff. And, um, you know, it's really important to, uh, to, to make sure that 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 community building time is a priority. And, um, you know, you guys, you guys both made that something that you did in your classroom. And that's something that the, that the book would support as well. So, um, you know, kudos to you for, for doing that. And, you know, of course that's, that's not, you guys, as, as much as you would love to hear it, you're not special, you're not unique. Like that's something that was going on all the way across, across the district. So, um, you know, it's good to hear those examples though. That's awesome. <clears throat> all right. Well, um, that was, you know, this was a really like short conversation for a lot of material. There's six chapters that we've covered in this, in this amount of time. Um, but I feel like we've kind of pulled out all the things that I'd like to, um, talk about. Is there anything in, in those six chapters that you guys think is, um, particularly worth highlighting in the, just the few minutes that we have left here? I just think, you know, over and over, I saw this theme of, giving students lots of choice and lots of opportunities and keeping things personalized. Um, and, and one of the other things that just really stood out to me that I'm going to continue to think about is just providing different scaffolds for everybody and knowing that services that we provide that might help 
one or two students could also help out the whole group um, in the you know virtual class and in the classroom as well in person. So that was one takeaway that I had. And I think, you know, with this learning process, we have so many new tools to use that can help students that are designed for this particular age of teaching that we're in, but that ultimately will help our students years down the road. So as much as it's, you know, sometimes, you know, can be difficult to learn all of this new stuff at once, it really is paying off and really is helping all of our teachers grow in what we do. That's very true. And I guess my biggest takeaway was just don't be afraid to try something new. It might not go well, uh, but, but at least if it doesn't, you learn what, what to do better next time. We're not all perfect, not going to be perfect, but that's all part of the process, getting better. Speak for yourself, Zach. I <laughs> am already the epitome of creation and y'all can just catch up to me. And that's totally fine. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And for those of you who have very much difficulty reading verbal cues, that was a joke. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Always a pleasure talking to you guys. This was really, this was really fun. Um, appreciate your time and your contributions, both as uh, teachers within our district and the difference that you make for our kids. And then also as instructional technology leaders and the difference that you make for, uh, for our colleagues. So thank you so much. Thank you for having us. All right. Have a good night, guys. You too. Okay.